This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, everybody. David Lasondak here. I am really excited to bring you today's guest, Charlie Graffius, and his story of dealing with, both personally and professionally, cerebral palsy. But before that, I just wanted to take a step back and thank all of you out there listening right now. I've got my stats for the end of the year, and I thought I was slacking because I didn't do as many episodes as I had in my brain that I wanted to do. Uh, It still was in the upper 15% in the health and fitness category in terms of uh, total minutes produced. So that that, that was a nice surprise. So I guess I'm not slacking off as as much as I think. And uh, it turns out listenership is up 103% this year. And that's astonishing to me. This podcast is in the top 10% most shared podcasts. Thank you for that. That's like text, emails, whatever. But anytime you share an episode with somebody, uh, they know. And now I know. So that that's just blowing me away. So I just want to thank everyone. I also want to mention that my book, the second edition of my book, Fascia, What It Is and Why It Matters, is still available for 30% off for my podcast listeners until the end of the year, if you get it direct from the publisher, Singing Dragon, that's in the US and the UK. I'll have links. The promo code is podcast30, and that gets you 30% off the cover price. Uh, that's better than Amazon, just saying, though you can get it there too. I won't say no to it if you do. And they make great Christmas presents. The other thing to make a great Christmas present for moi, or is the French say for me, is if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, hit subscribe or depending on where you get it, hit follow. Because those follows and subscriptions make a big difference in how the pod is promoted and made available. And if you can, particularly on Apple, because most of my listeners are on Apple Podcasts, take a moment and give it a rating, give it five stars. Some of you have written to me and asked, how do I do that? Well, it it is not that hard, but it's not as intuitive as you might think. So if you open up your Apple Podcast app and you go to your library and you go to shows and then you hit the body talk icon under shows, The page will come up, you'll see my logo, you'll see latest episodes, and you just scroll down about four or five episodes, you'll see ratings and reviews. Right now it's sitting at 5.0. I got 10 5.0 ratings. Thank you, all 10 people. And it just says tap to rate, and you just tap it. And if you want to add a narrative review, you're welcome to do that too. But that's just how simple it is. Go to your podcast app, go to the shows section, Tap on the show, scroll down, and there you go. It's as simple as that. It would really make my holiday season happier if everybody listening right now could take some time between now and the end of the year to give a rating to Body Talk. That said, that's enough about me and my deal. Let's turn it over to our guest and his deal. I think you're going to be really excited to hear Charlie's story and what he has to say. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have with me today, Charlie Graffius. Charlie is a certified personal trainer and strength coach. He's host of the Movement Fluidity 
podcast. And I met Charlie for the first time at the Fascia Congress in Montreal in 2022. And we started a conversation that just endlessly fascinated me because uh, Charlie was born with cerebral palsy. And you don't generally hear the term cerebral palsy and strength and conditioning coach in the same sentence, let alone in the same person. And the more I talked to Charlie, I realized he had a lot to share. Charlie, welcome to Body Talk. Thank you so much, David. I'm happy to be on here. And mm -hmm. it's been great to meet you and get to know you more. Likewise. So let's let's start with the foundation. What is cerebral palsy? Cerebral palsy is a brain injury that normally happens before or during or slightly after birth. And what it, it's often a lack of oxygen or different uh, issues while being born or something before. It can lead to a wide variety of different symptoms and different severities. It is typically seen with movement changes, speech problems, to name a few, but those are the most uh, prevalent. And I have a mild form, so you can tell walking down the street that I would have CP, but it ranges so much to where some people can't even talk, uh, are wheelchair bound, and have many more issues. So it's a spectrum. Right. It's a it's a big spectrum. As for the a little bit of the science behind the movement aspect is that it's an upper motor neuron lesion, which pretty much means that the connection from the brain to the spinal cord is impaired. So then as you're walking or moving normally, those contraction and relaxation cycles of muscles are impaired, which leads to herky-jerky movements. Growing up with a milder version of this, but still a version of this, uh, what seemed like normal to you wasn't normal to... Uh, did you have siblings? Um, uh, not growing up, no. I, okay. I have one sibling who's uh, quite a bit younger now. But. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. When did you first become aware? What are some of your earliest memories of, hmm, there's something different about me here? Well, I guess I'll step back to explain... How my parents saw it before I could even remember. Well, you know, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> so that started out with just developmental milestones, such as crawling and walking were just a bit delayed. So they couldn't figure out what was happening and why I was missing these milestones compared to other kids my age. So I was around 20 months old when I got the diagnosis of CP and um, it was mainly just from seeing that crawling and walking, even when I could do it, it looked very differently than other children. So that's what led us on the journey to figure out uh, the diagnosis and then get on the path of treatment. As for what I remember, uh, as a young kid, I didn't think much of it because, you know, I would just be playing, playing around and, uh, the social implications hadn't uh, surfaced yet. So I would say around elementary school, uh, maybe maybe age 10 or so, mm -hmm. that I really started to, to realize, oh, um, I move differently than other people. And that I was kind of confused by this. And I wanted to understand why, because I'd always been so involved in sports and just wanted to 
keep up with uh with the other kids right. um, so you didn't you didn't let this get in your way but but when you discovered that how did it affect you socially there were objective things that i never could hide such as wearing afos which are a cast that are um, above your ankles and um, i would have to wear braces to bed um, okay. once on the ankles and the knees also and what, um, what is the purpose of those braces the purpose this is just to really immobilize the area and to limit range of motion, which could cause injury. As for the nighttime ones, there is one to stick the foot into dorsiflexion okay. and uh, to improve range of motion. And then the other one I would wear was a knee immobilizer, which would uh, lock out the, the leg and keep the leg straight throughout uh, the nighttime. So... so Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've already got questions. I got a lot of questions, and I also know you have some ideas that kind of are, if not contrary, and certainly not intuitive to what people might understand about physical science or fascia science. So we'll be digging into that a little bit later. But right away, you're talking about immobility, which in this case sounds like a good thing. It can be a good thing. The theory is that, you know, I mean. I was very prone to injury and other people that have CP, even that don't immerse their, themselves in sports are prone to injury just because of the, the nature of the herky jerky movements and um, susceptibility sure. to uh, muscle tears, strains, broken bones, anything like that. I even, I've had really all the injuries in the world. I even had uh, one, one calendar calendar year, where I broke all four of my limbs uh, separately. Oh so, my God, Charlie. <laughs> that okay, you're done for the rest of your life. Okay, <laughs> just stop right now. How? What year was that? That was age 12, I believe, maybe 13, wow. I think. Oh my goodness. So that, that was just from really trying to keep up with everybody. And then mm -mm. my body just didn't work the same way. So um, it's... Yeah. That's not a typical story for somebody with CP, but everyday activities can be impaired and can cause injury. So the, the thought of immobilizing to create an extra stability in the joints that are uh, impacted, that's the thought process behind the immobilizations. Now, how does that square with your experience and your understanding of what happens to the directional contours of the fascial net when they are immobilized versus when they have some form of regular movement in terms of uh, the fibers knowing the optimal way to form around that. I'm, I'm curious how you might unpack that. I would assume that it's a similar concept to coming back from injury in casting or something along those lines and that the fascia will form differently. Uh, the I, I forget the exact terms for it, but um, the sequence sequencing of the collagen won't be uh, as uniform as it should be. Yeah. So I think that that's one of the biggest downsides of the approach of immobilization because you want to have that fascia responding to the environment the way that an area naturally should be. I always go back to um, the idea that 
these rules, these principles are guidelines and that the actual mileage can vary from person to person and from condition to condition. Obviously, uh, if you broke all four of your limbs in one calendar year, some 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 guardrails, if you will, <laughs> uh, on your body was probably a good idea. Or you know, accidentally injuring yourself at night when you're asleep and you're not even aware of what you're doing. I can see a, a precedent for that. But what was it like for you at twelve to have broken all four of your limbs? How did that change, or did it change, resolve in your direction and your love of sports and athletics? I would say that it really didn't change much. It didn't slow me down. Um, it actually <laughs> around that time at age 11, I also had bilateral heel, heel cord lengthening surgery. So I've had all sorts of different, wow. different things that have put me out for a while. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I've really become used to, uh, being in casts and having to work around things like that, luckily, but no, it didn't didn't slow me down. Maybe I had to be a little more careful with trying out new tasks. A few of those came with uh, when I was trying out soccer, which is a very, soccer is a tough sport for somebody with CP that limits, that is impacting the lower legs. Yeah. So Uh, they they didn't kick you out for having a (laughs) a surgically altered heel cords, huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, they could have. I I somehow could have turned it into a superpower maybe. And, uh, Mm -hmm. So what what other sports did you play in high school and college? In high school, I did wrestling and baseball. Growing up, I really tried everything. I was super lucky that my parents never saw this as a limitation. They they viewed it that maybe I may move differently, but if there was a new sport or activity that I wanted to try, they were all for it. So that is so important. That is so important. It is. It is. I can't thank them enough. Um, so growing up skiing, uh, swimming, a little bit of gymnastics, uh, but the biggest one was baseball. That was my, my everything, my whole life was all about baseball throughout high school. That was my first dream as a kid, wanted to be a baseball yeah. player. So I'm with you there, Charlie. Nice. It's the best dream ever as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so did you play in college? I did. I, uh, I played for a year and a half in college. I got recruited to play at a small division three school. And that was my entire identity. So I felt like I had defied the odds of what doctors had told me that that was possible. And then during my sophomore season, I ended up getting cut from the team, uh, which Uh, was a a devastating blow because I really just associated all of my self-identity with being a college baseball player. And I thought that I should say at this point, I was really doing everything I could to cover up the fact that I had CP. I wasn't open about it like I am today. If somebody asked me why I was limping or why I was falling down, it, there would be I would come up with some excuse and try not to talk about it. Um, but the point when I ended up getting cut from the team was when I had a lot of self-reflectiveness and began to open up about CP. And that's what has led me to all sorts of connections, trying out new sports, including tennis in college, which was what I finished out the last three years of college with. And just being open about it, what has been the biggest game changer in my life. 
So, so getting cut from the team was one of the best things that ever happened for you. Oh, definitely. In the moment, you know, you think it's the worst thing ever, but yeah. pretty shortly after I realized mm-hmm. after getting over the whole feeling sorry for yourself part. Sure. And that's um, natural that happened. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. See, that's, that's very inspiring. That's very, very inspiring. You took that roadblock and, and you dug deep and you learned something from it and you came out on the other side of it. So was you, were you a sports major in college? What was your, what was your track at that point? Yes, I did exercise science. So I was, I started out for a year as athletic training actually. And I should say that while I was a baseball player and wrapped up in that identity, I really was not a fan of the classroom. And I was only getting by to be eligible for baseball. Uh-huh. And then okay. when, when I got cut uh, from the team, that was when I started to realize, oh, this is a really good exercise science program here. And I can learn a lot. And then as I started opening up about the CP, then I started thinking, oh, how can I apply these general strength and conditioning principles to myself and then eventually the the rest of the CP population? So just to backtrack for a second, as you started coming out to more people, your peers, your professors, and so on about the CP, did you find that generally people were very accepting? Oh, yes. They were, they were all accepting, and I have such a great support cast. But I I didn't think anybody would be. I was always so ashamed to have it and didn't want to share and just pushed it, pushed it aside lower and lower. And it was something growing up in my household that we would never really talk about because I was so self-conscious of it. So it was a big barrier to break that down. <laughs> yeah. And what a fantastic thing to happen to you um, when you were 19 or 20 years old. You know, right. I mean, if you'd gone another decade and had that similar thing, the mental and emotional resiliency would have been in a very different state. So yes, it's, very it's, much that's so. extraordinary. Uh, good, good on you, man. So you you graduated from college and you decided to go into this direction of working with people who have cerebral palsy and trying to apply what you knew firsthand with what you knew theoretically. To, to make a difference in their lives. How's that been? Yeah, so I recently just graduated from college in May, really just getting into that right now and figuring mm-hmm. out how I can make this happen because the typical therapy for CP is with a physical therapist or uh, medical doctors. And there's really nobody in the strength and conditioning field that is working with this population. So right now it's a lot of figuring out how I can safely and effectively do this. So that that's where I'm at right now. But it definitely is taking all the things that were used on me in general physical therapy and finding out which ones that intuitively I, I felt like worked and then adding in the things that I know have worked through my own training that I really haven't seen anywhere else. Can you give us a couple examples? Yeah, sure. So the physical therapy side, the things that I like to avoid now are really static stretching, the immobilization that we talked about, but some of the, the gait training and different strengthening exercises that 
are done in physical therapy, I really agree with. What I do now is take that a step farther and really strengthen the core. That's a big, big aspect. Uh, also focusing on breathing mechanics, because if we're taking over 20,000 breaths a day and our respiratory mechanics have become compromised from uh, these changes in muscle tone and uh, firing patterns, that is going to be a limiting factor. Also along the lines of the strength training is eccentric training. So for those that okay. don't know uh, what eccentrics are, it's the, the lowering of a weight or the lengthening of a muscle. So an example would be a bicep curl when you are letting the weight down towards your side as the bicep is lengthening, that's the eccentric phase of that movement. Um, what I found to work well with this is that those spastic muscles that are holding on and that have high tone, they're too tight. The static stretching does not have long lasting benefits. Maybe it increases the range of motion uh, in, in short term, but it really is not long lasting. So this is kind of along the lines of just strengthening or strengthening through length and mm -hmm. teaching the nervous system that these muscles can respond to load under a lengthened state instead of just jamming the tissue into more passive range of motion. Because when we're moving throughout the world, it's not going to be, we, we have to figure out how to move through gravity and with different uh, tasks, whatever it is, you know, we, we have to be strong in that lengthened position. We can't just push that joint into that end range without owning that strength. You also had some interesting ideas in terms of application of heat in ice. And that was the thing that really flipped my brain around because I never would have thought about it that way. I'd love it if you talk about that. Yeah, sure. So in the past, I've always known that heat and cold have some sort of impact on muscle spasticity, but I couldn't really figure out what it was. Um, this has been a confusing journey that is going to be a, a whole long, long process to even, you know, keep sure. going and uh, scratch the surface of of understanding this. But typically, my spasticity had been better in the summer because the because I associated the cold weather with a freezing response and or a fear response from from the cold and the chills, okay. yeah, um, the contraction. And yes, the, mm -hmm. exactly. So I would stay away from from cold water, cold plunges, anything like that, and then bundle up in the winter because I thought that this was detrimental to the spasticity. But what I am finding out now through really your your book was the first one to explain this about the how the viscosity of fascia works with the sliding and gliding um that for if if the anecdotal evidence talking about cp saying that the fascia is essentially too loose and too weak adding cold to the entire system would help this out because it would strengthen 
the fascia through um, changing the viscosity. That's and see that is fascinating to me. So Werner Klingler, if you're listening to this right now, uh, I want you to like take this as a mandate to uh, do some trials over there and and get us some data about this because I just think this is one of the most exciting things that I've ever heard in terms of practical application of knowledge and and out-of-the-box thinking, which I really want to commend you for that, Charlie. This is one of those questions that I have to ask and I also hesitate to ask because I've been where you're sitting right now with people asking me questions uh, for specifics when I don't have enough information. But if one of the listeners knows somebody with cerebral palsy, has somebody in their family with cerebral palsy who is looking for some additional help, uh, ways to, to strengthen their body and be more confident in their body. Where's some places that they could start? Sure. And thank you for that. Um, also I should mention that I just completed the fascial fitness certification with, uh, Robert Schleip's company. So All right. Good for you. That, Congratulations. Thank you. That, thank you. That was an awesome program that I'm taking away a lot of things that I, I can apply to the CP community. Um, that's a whole nother, another topic, but just wanted to say that that is a really awesome, awesome business. Mm -hmm. Um, So as for practical applications, I guess I'll start along the lines of cold exposure for what people can do. And you you don't need to do what I do is I, I take at least one cold tub a day. I have a tub outside and I'm here in, uh, in Maine. So <laughs> the, uh, the, the water yeah. gets pretty cold and uh-huh. you don't need to go go out and bag, buy bags of ice. Where are you in Maine, Charlie? I am right in Portland, Maine. Oh, okay. Great. So I take at least one a day, oftentimes two tubs a day, um, for three to five minutes. But I know that's, uh, that's not really, most people don't want to do that or maybe don't have access to that. So if ice baths aren't your thing and that might be too much for a lot of people with CP, one thing that you can do is end your shower with a blast of cold water and really focus on breathing through it because what can decrease or increase spasticity in the winter is that freeze response and losing the proper mechanics of breathing and, you know, coming, uh, bringing the body in close, uh, that, that freeze response, what the cold shower can do is train your body to relax into that. So really focusing on breathing through the nose and trying to calm your body. You can start with five seconds and work your way up to uh, a minute or so with the cold water and just getting it on all different parts of your body. Um, that's, that was what started me with this cold therapy. And even that really did wonders. If somebody listening out there now would want to get a hold of you, uh, would you be to discuss this maybe in a little more detail or length? Is that something you'd be okay with and how could they get in touch with you? Yes, uh, definitely. I would, I would love to. And you can find me on Instagram. My handle is charlie.graphius. Um, mm-hmm. Also, my email, I can leave that to you for the- I'll put it in the, the show notes. Yeah, that's perfect. great. Okay. And yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody. I'm really just getting into this field. So 
have a lot more to learn and just want to learn from anybody that I can and uh, share the things that have worked well with me because the cold and the strength training, what we talked about today, that's just a small part of it. Uh, there's so much more that I have to share and to to show to other people. Are there any other things like that that you can share with the listeners? That- yeah, sure. I would I would say strengthening your core in any any way that you can. The work of Mariana Barreto, who is up in Canada, she works with the CP population. I actually mm-hmm. had her on my podcast as well. Uh, what she's finding is that the core is very weak in patients with CP. So Makes the sense. the fa- especially the fascia in the core is weak and lacking tension. So the mechanism of spasticity and high tone in the extremities is really a protective mechanism to oh. balance out that lack of tension. Um, this is why strengthening the core through resistance training will build up those fibroblasts and the the collagen layers that will increase the tension in the core so that the tension that's holding on in the extremities can relax a little bit. Charlie, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners before we call it a day here? Uh, no, I think that's it. I want to thank you so much for having me on. This was great. You're really welcome. I, you're innovating things and you're articulate and you don't give up. And those are all qualities I admire. Charlie, thanks for coming by today. Thank you, David. All right. We'll have the links in the show notes. And thanks as always for tuning into Body Talk. Hi, this is David Lasondek. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Body Talk. Couldn't do it without you. Honestly, I really couldn't. What would be the point? That said, if you want to support the show, like I said earlier, hit follow, hit subscribe. You want to get crazy, go to Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash body talk radio and become a contributing member to the show. Really helps with the time and the cost associated with producing this little nugget of the podcast universe. We got a really exciting year coming up on the show next year. I'm already getting shows in the can and edited. I got some really great stuff to share with you. Can't wait. Next week, we're going to have our year-end wrap-up show and then our special Christmas show, my special Christmas show. Uh, Till then, in this attention economy, if you give me your time, I will make sure it's worth your attention. See you next time here on Body Talk.